Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at mynsc.org. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. Amen. Are you ready to study the Word of God, yes or no? Let's do that. Get out your sermon notes. And uh, we're going to start a brand new series today called Epic Failures. And in it, we're just going to talk about people in the Bible that have failed. And the point of this series, it's a great series. It's going to teach you life lessons just on how to live life as a Christian. But also, it will, it will encourage you in that failure is not final. That failure is not fatal. That you can fail and you can get back up again and do something great for God. And you can live the life that God wants you to live, even if you have failures. Now, we've already asked this question this morning, but um, I, I think we all admitted, or we should have, that all of us have failed, right? We all have things in our life that we've been embarrassed about, things that we should have done, that we, that we didn't do, things that we should have done, that we did not do. Uh, we, we've all had massive failures. I'm going to talk to you about one of, one of mine that, it was not funny at the time, but now my wife and I, we kind of joke about it a little bit. We, we uh, were married in, in February of 1999, and um, we ha have had a great marriage, everybody. I'm telling you, our marriage is a wonderful, wonderful marriage. It doesn't mean that we always agree, but I'm always right, so it makes it wonderful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, no, that's not, it's not true. It's not, my wife has proven that wrong multiple times that I... Am wrong on many occasions. In fact, everybody, year 10, for some reason, was a very difficult year. I don't know if, if you've been married a lengthy amount of time. That, that Have you ever noticed that you go through seasons where there's a seasons of, of marital turmoil? That you're just not, you're just not clicking. You're, you're kind of just butting heads. And it wasn't like that for a week. It wasn't like that for a month. Everybody, it was like that in our house for a year. That my wife and I, we were just living life together, but we weren't connecting. And to this day, we don't know how. We were still faithful. We were still, we still stayed in communication. We still talked. We still did all the right things. And God ultimately brought us out, and our marriage has never been better. But I remember one thing that my wife said during year 10 of our marriage. She, she looked at me, and she said, Justin, I've just learned Never to expect anything from you. That's a bad day. How many know your pastor isn't always perfect? He's, he, he might pretend, joke that he is, but trust me, he's not. I'm not perfect. And when she said that, it was like, it was a, it was like a knife in my heart. It was like, what, what? And you know, as much as I hated hearing her say that, the truth of the matter is, out of the abundance, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the, of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when she said that, that I've just learned never to expect anything from you, that, that was, she was saying exactly what was in her heart to say. And it wasn't just words to hurt me. It was something that she felt was accurate, that was the truth. And it broke my heart that, that, that for some reason, everybody... I was failing 
my wife, and it hurt me deeply. And I decided that day that that wasn't going to be the case, that I wasn't going to be that kind of husband, I wasn't going to be that kind of father, that I wasn't going to be a failure in my marriage. And I just decided I was going to get serious about my, my marriage, about my relationship with my wife, and no matter what, we were going to we were going to make it, that we weren't just going to survive, we were going to thrive in marriage. And praise God, he delivered us, and our, our marriage is not just a matter of surviving. It's, it is thriving. Our marriage is thriving, and we, we made through it. How many of you have been through some difficulties in marriage, and God brought you out of it, right? Isn't God good? Um, um, but I was failing. I was failing. And I'm going to teach you about some, over the next few weeks, about people in the Bible that failed and seriously failed, and what we can learn from them, and what we could do better. And I want to start in Hebrews chapter 12, and, and, and I want you to think of the first word in Hebrews chapter, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, therefore. And what that there, whenever it's, the Bible says therefore, you got to know what it's there for, right? And so we look back at, at Hebrews chapter 11, and Hebrews 11 is this chapter about the heroes of the faith. Some call it the hall of faith. Uh, they, these are giants in the faith, people that we read about in the Word of God. In fact, there's 18 of them listed, but, but actually there's a lot of them that are talked about that their names aren't there, but there's still some giants of the faith listed in Hebrews chapter 11 and what they did for the glory of God and how they actually lived by faith. And so we get to Hebrews 12.1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, like, 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 therefore, considering these men and women that we just mentioned and all of the ones that we didn't, that were living this incredible life, that have lived this incredible life of faith and made a difference for the glory of God and the kingdom of God, as we consider them, think about this, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, numerous witnesses. Now, some theologians believe that to be very accurate, that these that these great men and women of faith are actually paying attention to what's happening in the world and what's happening in your life and in my life. And some people in this room say, well, I don't know about that. That's not, that's not an absolute. It's just an opinion. Everybody get that, right? It, those are not, that's not something we argue about or talk about or even, dis- it's just an opinion. I happen to believe that they, that they are looking down upon us. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Bible believer, and if the Bible says it, I guess I, I just believe it. So he says, in thinking about this, all of the ones that have gone before us, all the ones ones that may be looking at us right now, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Like, we all have a purpose, a God-given purpose, and what we're going to find out in the life of Samson is that, that in the story of Samson, they gouged out his eyes, right? But he was blind to his purpose long before he was ever actually blind. He was blind to his purpose long before they gouged out his eyes. In fact, I, I want to tell you, a lot of pastors would take up Hebrews 12.1, and they, they really focus on that, uh, uh, that we throw off every sin that so easily entangles us. And that's true, and we need to do that. But there's another phrase in there that a, a lot of pastors actually leave out, we throw off everything that even hinders us. Not only the sins that entangle us, but even the things that hinder us. Even the things in your life that you don't think that they're a sin, 
but might be hindering what you do for the glory of God and living out your God-given purpose, you've got to throw those things off too. You know, my job as a pastor here at New Song, I, I know that Jesus builds the church. How many knows that that's in the Bible? Okay, so if I were to ask you, can Justin build a church? You would have to say, no, Justin can't build a church. It's Jesus who builds the church. So I, I can't build a church. I've always known that. But what I can do is I can remove hindrances that might keep the church from growing. Think about this, everybody. I've told you this before, that healthy things just grow naturally. And if a church is healthy, it'll just naturally grow. I should say supernaturally grow, but you know what I'm talking about. If it's healthy, it's just going to grow. So my, my job as a pastor, I feel my job as a pastor, is to remove things that are unhealthy, removing hindrances that would, would allow for the growth to come that comes from Jesus Christ. That's just the way I view it. Maybe other pastors don't view it like that, but I do, and I, I, think it's a great, I think it's a great way to lead. I think it's a great way to lead a church, and I think we're seeing the success of that. So it says, throw off everything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles you. Let's get rid of those things because there's these people that are watching us. And one of the people the Bible says is watching us, believe it or not, in the middle of all of his failures, Samson, he's in the hall of faith. He made it. And you're thinking, Samson? He's in the hall. Yeah, he is. He's in the hall of faith. In fact, I'm going to show you that in a second, but I'm going to teach a little bit about Samson, who he was, um, before we get into Hebrews chapter 11. Letter A, write these things down. These are just notes for you to take for all of you who love to study the Bible. Samson was chosen, and I, by the way, I hope that's all of us, that we all love to study the Bible. Letter A, Samson was chosen by God to be a judge in Israel. Now remember, Moses brought the Israelites out of captivity, and he led them to the promised land, but he couldn't cross over. So Joshua comes in and takes over and leads them into the promised land. And then Caleb gets involved. And at the end of that, um, they're, they're left with uh, this group of people that don't really remember uh, Moses, don't remember the desert. They, that, that, that group has gone. And now they're saying, hey, well, what do we now do now? And who's in charge? And this new dispensation enters the life of the Israelites. And it was, it was called the, the dispensation of judges or the times of the judges. Now, uh, in, in this portion of history, Israelite history, there were either 15 or 16, one, one of those judges a little bit debatable, but at least 15 judges, and Samson is number 13 of the 15 or 16 judges that ruled over Israel. So he was, in fact, a judge, you could say the high judge or a leader in Israel. Now, Letter B, most of his life, though, as a judge, most of his life were, was filled with, write this down, failures. And if you know the story of, of Samson, if you've read it in Judges 13, 14, 15, 16, you're going to know that Samson's life was filled with failures as dishonesty, disobedience, not only disobedience to God, but actually disobedience to his parents as well. Arrogance, lust, Anger, he had it all. And I'm going to prove that to you today. He was known, actually, throughout the course of his life as a failure. In fact, let, let me show it to you this way. Let me teach it to you this way. Let us see. That we know of no law that, that, that Samson ever passed. We know of no law 
that Samson put into effect. In fact, the next one, let's get even deeper. There's no evidence whatsoever that he ever helped in judicial matters. Like the the recordings of Samson, you'll never see him in his story judging issues, judging matters of the Israelites. We don't see a law that he put in effect. We don't see any evidence that he was even involved in judicial matters. We see no evidence whatsoever that he was helping the Israelites. Not at all. He was so self-centered. In today's world, we would call that narcissistic. He was just self-centered, narcissistic. He did what he wanted to do no matter what. And yet, he's still in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, this is what it says in Hebrews 11.32. The, Hebrew writer, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon. Barak, some would say Barak, Samson, there he is, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, remember it is the hall of faith, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. I believe this one refers to Samson, my opinion, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and rooted foreign armies. You say, wow, he made it. But pastor, I thought he was a failure. He was. He was. And that's what I'm going to try to teach you today to the best of my ability, that failure isn't final. That failure doesn't have to be fatal. It doesn't have to be. It will be if you let it. And I'm going to teach you how to live your life as a believer today by looking at the story of Samson. Now, before we start this, I want you to somewhere in your notes, maybe uh, under Hebrews chapter 11, I just want you to write the word alone, or Samson lived life alone. And I'm going to prove this to you as I go through the story of Samson. I'm going to prove to you that he really did live life alone. Now, Samson lived to be 40 years, maybe 40 years and a a little more than that. And he was a judge over Israel for 20 of those years. So his life was actually cut short, and we're going to get there in just a second. So when he started as judge of Israel, the Bible says that an angel, in fact, before he started as judge of Israel, the Bible says that an angel appeared to Samson's mother and said, even though she was barren, she was going to have a baby. And this baby was to be a Nazarite. He was supposed to live a different life than everybody else. Part of being a Nazarite is that he would be separated from everybody else. So besides that separation, there were three more things that could not happen in the life of Samson. You could not shave his head. He had. He, he, he could never cut his hair. He, he wasn't supposed to take any type of fermented drink, no alcohol. And he was never to touch something that was dead or unclean. Um, dead things were considered unclean things, and he couldn't do that. And so he was a Nazarite. Well, his mother didn't believe the angel of the Lord that came to tell her, at least she, I should say, she, she believed it, but she told her husband Manoah, who did not believe it. And, 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 and could you imagine this? She comes, now she's barren. She's not able to have any children. She comes to, to her husband Manoah. Oh, by the way, this guy came and uh, he just told me I was going to be pregnant. Uh, I don't know what to tell you, but apparently we're going to have a baby. Manoah's got to be thinking, what guy? What are you talking about? 
In fact, Manoah said, listen, um, I don't believe it until I see it. So he prayed to the Lord and he said, Lord, if this is really you and not just my wife, you, you got to show up. You, you got to tell me. And sure enough, the angel of the Lord appeared again, but not to Manoah. He appeared again to the wife. And she said to him, oh, stay right here. I got to tell my husband or else he ain't going to believe this. You know, when I have a baby, he's going to freak out. He's going to think that I've messed around. No, no, I got to go get my husband. So she does. She goes and gets Manoa. Manoa comes out. Sure enough, the angel of the Lord is there. They say, hey, can we, can, can we make you something to eat? He says, the, the angel of the Lord says, no. They say, well, what's your name? He said, I can't even tell you my name. It's, it's too wonderful for you to know. Isn't that amazing that the, the names of angels are too wonderful for us to even know? Can, can we talk about the bigness of God today, the greatness of God, that there are, there are not, not, not just objects, not just things, not, not, not just angelic beings, but there are literally words, names that are too great, too big, too wonderful for us to know. That tells you how big God is. He said, no, I don't want anything to eat, but you can, you can make some burnt offerings to the Lord. So that's what they did. In fact, as they're doing these burnt offerings, um, um, the angel of the Lord confirmed what was going on. And then the angel of the Lord was caught up in the middle of that fire, in the middle of that blaze, that smoke, and he went up to heaven. Of course, at that point, Manoah was a believer. And sure enough, Samson comes along and uh, he's born and they, they raise him according to the Nazarite vow. But then there's something inside of, ha- of Samson's heart that becomes so obvious. In fact, really put a lot of stress upon his parents. He was a rebellious child. He was a rebellious son. One day he decided to go, everybody say alone, say alone. He decided to go alone to Timnah. And he, he met a woman there and he said, this is, this is the one for me. He goes back to his parents and says, hey, mom and dad, I met this lady in Timna. And they're saying, hey, what are you doing down there? That's enemy territory. You're not supposed to be there. You're supposed to be judging Israelite. You're not, you're not where you're supposed to be. And no, we're not going to get that girl for you. She's not for you. Why can't you marry an Israelite? We have all these beautiful Israelite ladies that you can marry. A, marry. Why do you have to go marry a Philistine? But because he was the judge in Israel, because he was the leader of Israel, he told his parents, he said, no, I'm going to marry that girl. And because he was the leader, even though they were his parents, he was the leader and they had to do what Samson told them to do. So they went along and they said, okay, well, we're going to meet the family. We're going we're gonna to work out. No doubt there had to be a dowry. There had to be some exchange of, 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 of not just money, but of, of some type of asset there. And, and it was just, that was just common in those days. And so they work those things out, and he decides, this is the one for me. So they have this, they have this big party uh, to celebrate this wedding. But Samson and, and the wedding party realize the other family. They realize, well, Samson is here alone. He's here alone. And he doesn't have a groomsman, and he doesn't have, he doesn't have a best man. He doesn't have really anybody. And, of course, uh, etiquette in those days where, well, well, if you don't bring your own, we're going to have to supply you with the groomsmen. And they gave uh, Samson 30 groomsmen, 30 groomsmen, one of them being a best man, which you'll hear about in a second. And, and Samson, because he thinks life is just a joke, because he's not living out his purpose, because he's not given to a God-given purpose, he finds out uh, or he determines, hey, you know, I'm going to have some fun with these groomsmen. I'm going to give them a riddle. And in this riddle, uh, if, if they win, 
then I'm going to give them 30 sets of this type of clothing and then 30 sets of this other type of clothing, one for the wedding, one just for life. But, but if, if I win, they're going to have to do the same. They're going to have to give me 30 sets of fine clothes and 30 sets of more average type of clothes, and, and I'm going to give them this riddle. And so he does that. And for several days, the groomsmen, 30 of them, can't figure out this riddle. And they talk to Samson's, what we would call fiancé, but they would call a wife. They talked to her and said, hey, you've, you've got to tell us we're losing this. You don't want us to be embarrassed. Hey, come on, you're a Philistine too. You've got to help us out here, help us figure out this riddle. And so she goes to, to Samson and she asks and he won't say anything. She asks again and he won't say anything. And, and then um, uh, she just starts nagging, nagging and nagging and nagging some more. And finally, Samson is just done with it. He, he finally just gets so sick of her that he tells her the answer. And the guys on the seventh night, they come out and say, Samson, we figured it out, and they answered the riddle. And of course, they got it right because they heard it from Samson's wife, and Samson becomes enraged. Remember, he's alone. There's nobody there to talk him out of it. And he goes out, and he he kills 30 people in Ashkelon. He kills them, and he takes their clothes And then he takes another set of clothes from them and he gives it to these 30 groomsmen. But now most theologians, if not all that I read actually, all agreed that Samson just didn't go kill 30 guys and then go into their house and steal their clothes. What he probably did, most likely did, was kill them, strip them of their clothes, stained with blood, plus got an extra set, took it back to the 30 groomsmen. And you know how he probably handled it? He probably took those those stained, bloody clothes and threw it at each man. That they just weren't receiving a set of clothes. He was so angry, they were probably receiving clothes that were stained with blood. Think about how gross that would be. And yet it was in his heart. He was angry. He was arrogant. He was filled with revenge. So, uh, He gets a little upset, obviously. He goes back to Timnah, and he decides, uh, don't know how else to say this, but he decides he's a little frisky. And after all, that is his wife. So he decides what every man in this church would obviously do. If we're feeling a little frisky and we want to be intimate with our wives, we're obviously going to go out and and get a, a, a goat, right? And present that goat to our wife. That's Okay, that's not what, hopefully, if you do that, you're sick, gentlemen. Don't do that, all right? There's a thing called roses. It works a lot better. But that's not back in these days. He goes out, and he gets this kid goat. He gets this baby goat, and he takes it to the family. He shows up. He knocks on the door, and the father-in-law is standing there saying, Samson, I can't let you in. You were so angry, and you took off that I actually gave your wife to your best man, which was etiquette in those days. If the, if the, if the groom was to leave then the bride would be given to the best man, and that's what happened. Well, big old Samson, he wasn't very happy about that, so he decided to get 300 foxes, tie their tails together, put a torch on their tails, stuck to their tails, and then he took those foxes and let them loose in all of the fields, in all of the the grain fields that were just about ready for harvest, and he burned down all of the fields. In fact, not only that, he tore up all of the vineyards. 
He tore down all of the olive groves. groves. I'm telling you, this guy was angry. He was just mad. And after, of course, losing all of the crops, the Philistines, they were angry. And they said, well, who did this? Like, what happened? And all of a sudden, they were told about about Samson's father-in-law, how he wouldn't let Samson have his wife, and now he gave his wife to the best men. And actually, the Philistines came in, and they burned the father-in-law and the wife to death. And then the story doesn't end there. Samson was so mad about that, and he was alone again, that he just went out and flippantly killed just a bunch of Philistines just because it was about revenge, because he was angry. You killed my father-in-law, you killed my wife, I'm going to kill you. And he just went and took a bunch of people out. After he did that, I don't know why, the Bible doesn't say, but he went and he hid in a cave. Well, the Philistines were mad at Samson. They wanted to get back at Samson, so they thought, we know what we're going to do is we're going to attack all of the Israelites. So they set up camps, army camps around Israelite villages and towns. The, the, the Israelites kind of freak out and they say, well, what is happening here? Why are you guys coming in? They, they tell the story. Well, this is what Samson has been doing when he's been alone. You don't know this is happening, but he's acting alone and we're going to take him out. So the Israelites get scared because they're going to be, they're going to be beat by the Philistines. They're going to be killed by the Philistines. So they end up going Finding Samson, they, t- they put a troop together, 3,000 soldiers, because that's how many they thought it would take to take Samson out. And they show up to Samson and say, Samson, Philistines are really, really mad. They're setting up these, these camps around us. They're going to attack us. It's going to get really bloody. There's going to be a lot of people killed. We got to take you back to the Philistines. That's the only way that they're going to stop. And Samson said, hey, that's fine. Go ahead and take me back. But what I want you to do is I just want you to to bind me and promise me. You have to promise me that you won't kill me. Let it be them. And they gave Samson their word. They said, okay. So so he allowed them to put the, the, the ropes around him. And they took him back to the Philistines. And when he arrived there, the Israelites did his promise. They didn't kill Samson. But in fact, he broke those bonds. And he found the jawbone of a donkey, and he took it, and he killed a thousand Philistines at one time with that one jawbone of a donkey. This guy was tough. He was mean. He was big. He was strong. He was fast, and he was angry, and he did it alone, all by himself. Then... A little bit later on, Samson decides, you know what? I'm going to go down to Gaza. And he got to Gaza alone. And guess what he found that he wanted? Well, he had a problem with the ladies, didn't he? And he found a prostitute. And he became intimate with her. Well, the Philistines found out that he was there, so they were going to they were going to kill him at the next day, the next morning. They were going to kill him at the gate. But uh, Samson, knowing this, he actually left around midnight, and he broke down the gate. And the Bible says he carried that gate uh, to a distant place, to really to an upper place, to a, a mountain type of place because he was so strong. And it was just kind of an in-your-face moment. And he did it alone. And then, of course, 
after his first wife and after the prostitute, that's when he meets Delilah. Once again, another person he was not supposed to be with. She wasn't an Israelite. She was obviously involved with helping the Philistines capture Samson. And as they were together, she would toy with him. She would ask, why, why, what is the secret of your strength, Samson? I've got to know. Well, he gave her a false answer. Well, that didn't work. They, they tried to kill him. It didn't work. He was too strong for him. So then she asked him again. He gave her a second answer. They came in. They tried to kill him, but he was just as strong as always. He took him out. Third time, she said, come on, Samson, tell me. You're lying to me. Don't you love me? Tell me the, the reason for your strength. So he told her another lie three times, three lies. And the, the Philistines come in. They think they're going to take him out this time, and they can't because he lied to Delilah. But, but, but here's the interesting on the fourth time. The Bible records that, that Delilah just nagged and nagged and nagged and nagged. How many, how many can see this in the history of Samson? That happened with the first one, didn't it? The girl at Timnah. Same thing. This girl comes in and she's nagging and nagging and nagging. So one of, one of Samson's failures, and he has a lot of them, was also impatience, obviously, because he couldn't stand the nagging. And finally, he just gave in. He said, okay, if you shave off my hair, that's the source of my strength. It was part of that Nazarite vow that I took. And sure enough, somebody came in. The Bible says a servant came in, cut off his hair. And she woke him up, the Philistines are upon you. And this time, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord did not come upon him, that he did lose his strength. And they captured him, weak, and they gouged out his eyes. And they put him on, in, in the mill. They put him, you know, in those days, they would have this big uh, mill. And you would, you would see pictures of this. You, no doubt all of you have where big ox would, uh, an ox would just, or maybe two or three, uh, would just walk in a circle all day long and just be grinding at the mill, and they put, they put Samson there to work this mill, blind, weak. And then one of the coolest verses in the Bible takes place in, in, in the book of Judges. You can read this for yourself as you read through the book of Samson. It says, but his hair began to grow. His hair began to grow. Can I tell you something? Listen, this is not even the point of today's message, but listen to me. In some of your weakest moments, at some of your biggest failures, when you think that you're done, when you think that you can't go any further, when you think that it's all over, when you're looking at yourself and you say, I am such a failure, how did I get this way? Can I tell you, the Spirit of the Lord will still work in you. The presence of the Lord will still work in you and start doing things in you in those moments that you didn't ask him to do, that you didn't think he would do, but because he's so merciful because he's so gracious, because he's so compassionate, because he loves you, because he has a purpose for your life. He starts working in you even when you don't realize it, even when you don't know it. He's working all things together for your good, even when you're flat on your face. How many think God's a good God? And his hair began to grow. I don't think he was thinking about it. I don't think he was thinking Oh, man, my hair is growing. So, hey, one of these days I'm, I'm going to get strong again. I, I think at this point Samson had lost it all because of a prayer. About to pray, it shows me that he thought he was done with, that he was done for, that it was all over for him. And all of these things, going down to Timnah, going to Gaza with a prostitute, with Delilah, 
Uh, in fact, the Bible says, you know, on, on one of those trips to Tinbe, he actually killed this lion. This lion attacked him. The Bible says he killed this lion like, like he would just the smallest of goats, laid it on the side, and later on he came back, and the Bible says he scooped, he scooped honey out of the inside of that lion carcass. Remember that? And he brought it to his parents, and they all ate, but he never, the Bible says that his parents never knew where he got the honey from. Why? Because when he, even when he went to the lion, he was alone. He was alone all through Samson's life. His biggest mistakes, his biggest failures, listen to me, they happened when he was alone. And I'm going to teach you four things right now that we bring up a lot here at New Song, at least once or twice a year. We talk about these, and we're going to do it again because it's so important. You're never meant to live life alone. Number one, write this down. You need to be in relationships with others, with others and you need to nurture Nurture important relationships. You are not meant to live life alone. Some of your biggest failures don't have, let me say it this way. Some of the biggest failures you've made in your life, some of the biggest sins that have happened in your life oftentimes happen when you're alone. And you're not supposed to live life alone. That's not the way you're supposed to live. And if you have people around you, if people that, are, that you're accountable to and they're accountable to you, then, then, then you're going you're gonna to not make a lot of mistakes. You're not going to fail as often as you would. If people are around you, you're not going to fail as often as you would alone. In fact, can I tell you something? Some of the greatest, one of the greatest benefits of my life of being surrounded by my wife and my children and my staff and all of you is that my integrity, my integrity is no doubt much higher than than then maybe, I, I hope that I, how do I say this? It makes it a lot easier. Let me say it this way. It makes it a lot easier to serve and love God and remain a man of integrity when you know people are looking up to you, when you know people are walking through life with you. I hope and pray that it would be the same when I'm by myself. All I know is I'm not by myself, so I don't have to think those thoughts. I don't, I, I, I'm walking through life with a lot of other people, and it helps me maintain my integrity. How many know what I'm talking about? It just helps you maintain. You're not meant to live life alone, and you need to nurture important relationships. You need to nurture the relationship with your spouse, with your children, uh, with, with your loved ones. You have to nurture those relationships. You have to keep them healthy and growing and strong. Number two, you've got to restore broken relationships. Some of you have broken relationships, and you need to restore those. And if you say, well, well, pastor, I've tried. The Bible says this, as, as long as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. As long as it depends on you. So sometimes the other person might not want to restore a relationship, and that's okay. As long as you tried, as long as you gave it your best, as long as you tried to restore that broken relationship, sometimes they won't let you, and it's okay. But try. As long as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Number three, you've got to sever harmful relationships. You've got to sever harmful relationships. There's a lot of people right here in this room that you have some relationships that are harmful, and these people that you're around, friends that you're around, family members that you're around, they just constantly pull you down. They're not helping you become a man of God. They're not helping you become a woman of God, and you need to sever those relationships because your relationship with God needs to come first. And some of you say, well, I can't really sever those because they're family members. I can't really sever those because, you know, th these are, 
These are loved ones. These are my best friends. I can't really sever those. Okay, if you cannot sever them, then change them. If you cannot sever, then change. Hey, 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 man, we're, we're, uh, we're going to go to the bar tonight. Hey, sorry, man, just not going to do that anymore. Because when I'm there, I don't behave like the man of God I want to be. I don't act like the man of God I want to be. I, I don't act like the woman of God. I don't think like the woman of God that I want to be. I'm, I'm, I just got to change this relationship. I'm still your friend. I'm still your buddy. I'm just not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to listen to that anymore. I'm not going to go those places anymore. I'm just going to, how many know what I'm talking about? If you can't sever it, you got to change it. If you can't sever it, you got to change it. And by the way, no excuses with that. No excuses. You either do or you don't. But a lot of people come up and say, hey, I'm really, I'm, really tr- I'm, I'm really trying to sever this. I'm really trying to change this relationship. And I tell them, there's no such thing as trying. You either do or you don't. You either do or you don't. Well, that'll preach. I, I'll preach that another time. And then the last one, you got to initiate meaningful relationships. You have to initiate relationships with people that are going to help you become the man or woman that you're, you're called to be in Christ Jesus. Uh, I'll tell you, this is the one that I think, I think a lot of people get wrong, that they're just so content with, well, I'm, as long as I have my spouse, as long as I have my children, I'm, I'm good. Uh, you know, I, I really don't really need friends. Actually, you do. You do need friends. Samson had a mom and dad, but how many know that he could have used some godly friends too? Because he didn't listen to mom and dad. And I'm telling you, some people have a way of speaking something to me. In fact, I, Jennifer and I laugh about this all the time. Because sometimes Jennifer will have, and an, let's say she's just dealing with something, and I just, I, I just say, well, here's the answer for that. And then it's just dialogue. It's a lot of back and forth, and yeah, but what about this, what about this? And, and then all of a sudden, my wife talks to her mom, and she gets off the phone, and she's like, oh, I got it now. My mom said this. And I'm like, I've been telling you that for a week. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes it just comes different. It, it's the same thing, but it just, it, it's just different when it comes from somebody else. Like sometimes she'll listen to Joyce Meyer say, Joyce Meyer said this. I said, baby, I've been teaching that for 10 years. What do you mean Joyce Meyer said that? You know, like, but it just, it just, it means something different. It means something more when it comes from somebody else. And you need to initiate meaningful relationships people who are going to help you become the man or woman of God that you're meant to be. By the way, everybody, that's why we have small groups here at New Song. And just at the greatest of coincidences, they're starting now. Isn't that cool? You might think that this was planned. And it was. And that's why you get into small groups, because you need to initiate meaningful relationships. When you're having a bad day, you can go into that group and say, guys, I'm having a bad day. Would you pray for me? We already have some groups meeting, and I'm telling you, the Spirit of God has showed up multiple times and has just just divinely healed people, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. I'm telling you, you you need to initiate meaningful relationships. Our small groups are listed online. Just pick one. Just pick one. Go to it. Just make some new friends. Meet some new people. Live life with them. Love them and let them love you. And you'll be better off for it. Samson chose to live life alone. But here we have Judges 16, and I'm ending with this. Judges 16, 23. Why did he end up in the hall of faith after all of those failures? 
Verse 23, now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And while they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them, meaning they just made a joke of him. And when they stood him among the pillars, oh, I'm sorry, when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, now no doubt this is just a young boy. As part of the entertainment, they're saying, look, Samson has no strength. He's totally blind. His eyes are gone. And look now, the guy who once was all that, he's nothing now. He's being led about by a young boy. And he told this boy, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women, and all the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. On the roof were about 3,000 men and women. Could you imagine how big this building really was? If that was that amount on the roof, guess how many were inside? No doubt far more than that. Then Samson, watch this, verse 28. Such a beautiful verse in the Bible. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me. I want to stop right there before we get to this final sentence. I I want you to ask, have you ever been here when you felt like such a failure, when it had been so long since you had connected with God, that you might have said it a little bit differently. You might have said, Heavenly Father, remember me. Remember me? And God says, of course I remember you. My eyes have never left you. You've never been without me. You've you've never done one thing, thought one thought that I didn't see or that that I didn't know about. God, you remember me? Of course I remember you. You've never been without me. When you thought you were alone, You weren't alone. The Bible says he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And if you're here this morning, you're saying, God, do you remember me? Let me answer that for him. Yes, he does. According to the word of the Lord, he does. He does remember you because he loves you. He loves you because he's merciful and kind. But watch this. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, and here comes his request, please, God, strengthen me just once more. Have you been there? I have. When I thought God was, like, surely God is just done with me now. God, I fall on my knees. I fall on my face before you. Heavenly Father, could you just strengthen me once more? Could you just fill me once more? Could I feel your presence just once more? The Bible says when you pray that prayer, he always says yes. You say, well, how do I know that? He says it this way. When you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And when you fall on your face, as big of of a failure as you think you are, you fall on your face. Say, would you just strengthen me one more time? And God says, absolutely, I will. And he did it for Samson. 
Samson knocked down the pillars, and he did more at that last moment of his life than he had did. The Bible says he did more in that last moment than he ever did prior to that, all those years combined, because he prayed a prayer. Lord, would you remember me once more? Would you strengthen me once more? I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. It's got to be one of my favorite verses in the Bible. For though the righteous, that's people in right standing with God, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. And that seven doesn't mean a literal seven. It means, it's conveying this. It's, It's saying, hey, when you fall, you get back up. And when you fall, you get back up. And when you fall, you get back up. When you keep falling, you just keep getting back up. When, when you're a righteous person and right standing with God, you're going to fall. Let me say it this way. You're going to fail. But l- listen to me, church. Listen to me. I've told you this before, and I'm saying it again, and I'll keep saying it for years to come. That Christians are not known as perfect people. We are not known as perfect people. We are known as the getting back up people. Because when a righteous person fails, we get back up. When a righteous person fails, we get back up. What, what's scary to think is that you, that you would sit here and think that you failed so much that you're not even trying to get back up. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that failure, your failure, your failure, is not final. In fact, write this down, that failure should be your teacher. It's not your undertaker. Failure is a teacher. It's not the undertaker. Yeah, you're going to, can I tell you something? You're going to fail. Get back up. Say, Lord, would you strengthen me once more? Would you empower me once more? Would you fill me with your presence and with your glory and with your spirit, Lord, like never before? And I'm telling you, God says yes to that prayer. He says, absolutely. You can have more of me. See, we're the getting back up people. Write this down, this final thing. Failure doesn't have to be fatal. It doesn't have to be fatal. Can Can I tell you something new song? Some of you think that your failures have been fatal, and I'm here to tell you under the Spirit of, of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that your, that your failures, they are not fatal. They're not final. you got to get back up. And you have to pray this prayer. Lord, would you strengthen me again? And he always says, yes. Just stand up with me. There's some people in this room that you, even here in this moment, you just consider yourself a failure. You just keep failing. And, and maybe one of the reasons for that is that you keep going back to those relationships that you shouldn't go back to anymore. Maybe because you're not in relationship with other people that are going to hold you accountable and keep encouraging. The Bible says we're to encourage one another in the faith. That means that my job as your pastor is to actually take courage and place it in you. That's what I'm trying to do today. Hey, your failure is not final. Your failure is not fatal. I'm I'm trying to place courage in you today. Saying, come on, stand up, child of God. And say, Lord, strengthen me once more. And he'll say yes. 
Because when you draw near to him, he draws near to you. Come on, come on, come on. How many of you just think yourself as a failure today? That is not God's view of you. That is not your identity. It only will be when you decide to stay down. And God's saying to you today, don't you do that. Don't you stay down. Don't you keep thinking those thoughts. You are not a failure. You are a child of the Most High God. And now you need to walk like it. Spirit of the Lord is here. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to ask a very simple prayer, a very simple question, and then we're going to pray. There's some people in this room that you just consider yourself a failure. There's some people in this room that you know in your heart you've just been in a backslidden state. You thought you failed so much that you just can't get right with Jesus. And I'm telling you, that's a lie from the enemy. It is a demonic lie. Stop believing that lie. You are not a failure. You're not too far gone. Maybe there's some other people in this room that you've never even accepted Christ, but you feel so guilty. You just didn't think Christ would accept you. You didn't think God would accept you. And I'm telling you, he will. The Bible says every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Every single one of them who calls on the name of the Lord, no matter what you've done, you can be saved. All you have to do is call upon his name. So with nobody looking around, if you say, Pastor, that's me, I'm just, I just feel like a failure. I'm backslidden. Maybe you're saying today, I just need Jesus. I just need Jesus. I'm going to give my life to Jesus today. I want you to raise up your hand really high. Nobody look around. Yeah, lots of hands, lots of hands. I'm so proud of you for being so honest. I know it's hard to be honest like that. You can put your hands down. I'm so proud of you. God's so proud of you, child of God. God is so proud of you. Today is your getting back up day. It's your walking in faith day. It's your allowing the Holy Spirit to change you day. That's what day this is. This is a day where the power of God is going to come down. He's going to change you from the inside out. And you're going to walk out of this place a victorious Christian, a victorious believer, a victorious child of God. And you're going to say, you know what, I'm, going to, I'm not going to live the life of a failure. I'm not going to live life alone. I'm going to live a life of surrender. I'm going to give Jesus my life. I'm going to invite other people to join me in this journey that will hold me accountable, that will pray for me, that will help me. I'm going to initiate some meaningful relationships in my life so that I don't fall backwards again. But no matter what happens in the future, every time I fall, I'm going to rise again. Because I'm not perfect. But I am a child of God, and I'm a getting back up person. Now, can we all do something? Can we all just lift our hands to the Lord all together? Let's pray this prayer. Jesus, all of us in this room, there's not one person in this room that hasn't failed you. There isn't one person in this room that haven't that we haven't come to our senses and said, wow, have we failed? Have we, have we done things that, that we should never have done and thought things that we should have never thought, said things that we should have never have said? We have failed over and over and over again. There are so many of us here in this room 
that have done things that, that we said we would never do again, and yet we did them again. And Father, I declare right now, I declare right now that today is a day of change, that today we're going to change the view of our identity in Christ Jesus, that we're going we're gonna to realize that you love us, that you care for us, that you're merciful, that you're gracious, and that our failure is never final, that our failure is never fatal, as long as we just get back up and pray that prayer, Father, strengthen me once more. Strengthen me one more time. Come on, new song. You can pray that however you want to. Father, come in my life. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your spirit. And I declare that today is a day of change. Father, we come before you and we do confess our sins. We do confess our need for a Savior. And we call upon the name of the Lord together. And we confess with our mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord. And now we are children of God, children of the Most High God. And it's our joy to honor you and worship you and thank you that when we're in the muck and the mire of our life, you reach down with your strong right hand and you pull us out. Why? Because we are not failures. We are children of God. We are children of God, led by your hand, strengthened by your power. We are your children, and now we exalt you, and we praise you, and we worship you in spirit and in truth. Come on, new song. Let's just thank the Lord together with our hands raised. Thank him that he's so gracious, that he's so powerful, that he's so wonderful, that he's so merciful, that he's so compassionate. Thank you, Father, for saving us. Thank you for reaching us, reaching down to us and pulling us out of that place of despair, out of that place of depression. Father, we thank you that our past is behind us and it does not dictate our future, that we are made new in Christ Jesus, that we are victorious in Christ Jesus, and that we are not failures, that our past is not final. Our failures, they're not final. Our failures are not fatal, but we are alive in Christ Jesus and we thank you for it and we worship you and we honor you and give you all of the praise, all of the glory in the name of Jesus Christ, the strong son of God. Come on, new song. If you see, say, agree with that, say a big amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life. And we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org connect. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week.